They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. And we are two follically challenged pastors serving in congregations in the New England Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. Joe, how about that Super Bowl last night? That was a great game, and I could not believe how amazing the Patriots were. I, they weren't amazing in the first half. I got to give them that. But they came back, and boy, was it. For those of us who stayed up to watch the end, it was a great game. Yeah, everybody in my house went to bed, and then they scored that touchdown, and I thought, huh, you know, it is the Patriots. I'm so glad I stayed up to watch it. It was something. Yeah, yeah. We were going back and forth on text, you know, both standing in front of our TVs and trying uh, to cheer, but not cheer too loud because our kids and our wives were in bed. But, but yeah, you, you got to give it to uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. They are a dynamic duo, and I hope they have at least four or five more Super Bowls in them. We shall see, my friend. We shall see. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about the Patriots. But we are here to say thank you for your help in uh, supporting us, support ELCA World Hunger, the Big Game Challenge. So thank you for everybody who uh, participated in that. Uh, we had a number of people go through our website to get there, and you can still do that uh, if you just go to twobaldpastors.com backslash big game. And thank you for your generosity in helping those uh, who have hunger issues throughout this world. So thanks a lot. And we unfortunately did not beat uh, our companion Synod in the South for the big game challenge. They they raised more money than we did, but there are no losers when it comes to giving to world hunger. So we want to thank you for participating in that. And congratulations to the Southeast Synod for uh, a game well fought in raising money for world hunger. All right, well, let's switch gears. So today we're following up on our conversation with our good friend, Bill Peterson, who serves an Episcopal congregation up in New Hampshire. What kinds of things you want to take away from that conversation, Joe? Well, first, Bill is a Lutherpalian, and if you haven't heard that term before, Lutherpalian is a congregation that is somehow has the Lutheran Church and the Episcopal Church coming together. He really helped us kind of see in a broader sense, what does it mean to be the church? The sign on your door really doesn't matter that he is uh, ordained in the ELCA, but he is serving an Episcopal church, and it really works well for them. They seem to be doing great ministry together. His uh, blue jeans, high liturgy style really kind of fits with the context that he's currently serving. Every congregation, whatever sign is on the door, has its own culture in a way. You know, everybody kind of operates that way, I think, a little bit. But we also, in our more denominational broad banner umbrellas, uh, have cultures of our own, too. Kind of uh, theological emphases or kind of worship distinctives or just kind of some pieces that say, oh, that's what a Lutheran is or an Episcopalian or a Presbyterian. You kind of know that. Especially in the 21st century, it's really important for us to remember that we are all the church. Uh, we've got a, a varied history over the course of the centuries since the Reformation 500 years ago that in some ways is tragic and unfortunate. But I think in our current context in which you and I work as pastors and Bill as well and a lot of faithful pastors across the, the church and across the world, 
uh, we're more interested in just what it means to follow Jesus and let's do it together. So that's kind of fun to just think about and uh, especially to hear about how that's actually working in a local context. And I, I enjoyed listening to Bill uh, talk about that. Yeah, it was a great conversation. And thinking about our own individual context, like you said, and see what is the personality of this congregation? A lot of times the personality of a congregation takes on the personality of the pastor, but that happens over time. You know, someone can't come into a congregation, whether it's a pastor or even a layperson, and say, I want church to be this way, because each church has its own personality, its own traditions, its own customs, and it's good to sit back and and really ask ourselves, why do we do this? But not necessarily just say, we're going to dismiss it because that's not the way that I want to do it. But why do we do this? What are some other ways that would make sense if we do need to change certain traditions? What are, what are some of those uh, traditions that happen at uh, St. Paul's? I think this is probably the friendliest congregation I've been a part of, and I've been a part of some some nice churches, but there is a, a genuine joy of spirit here that I've not seen in other places. Kind of, a, I, I don't know, it seems a lot of Lutheran congregations are somewhat introverted. Not that that's a bad thing. They're genuinely outgoing, and that, that is a culture. And I think of just the way that that then interacts with new folks, folks who have been here a long time, people that haven't been to church really, or people that haven't gone in a while. I think that's, uh, it's a nice asset for sure. You know, I've been in some churches where it's like just to get someone to greet their friend, let alone a stranger is like pulling teeth. So that's, I would say, probably the most distinctive thing here. I mean, we do a lot of things that, quote, Lutherans do especially if you looked at worship and things like that. But we also have kind of some lively music because our primary musician plays piano, and then we have uh, another musician who also plays banjo and a variety of other instruments. So that gives it a more distinctive sound, I would say, rather than maybe your traditional organ playing. But I would say it's the same liturgy. It's, I mean, it's not that distinctive in that regard, but uh, as far as how it plays or the spirit of it, it also seems to fit the personality type of the people here. How about you, Joe? My congregation is a mix of four different congregations, which makes right. things interesting. Uh, and I'll tell you kind of a not-so-good clash of traditions and then you know something that's really a little more positive. But So a former congregation, when they did coffee hour, it was almost a requirement that whatever was brought into the coffee hour was homemade. So you had fresh homemade breads or muffins or, or biscuits or whatever it was that, that you would have, and you bring that for a fellowship hour. And then another congregation that kind of merged into this, they just brought whatever was store-brought. So you had crackers and, and cheese, and you'd go out and buy different danishes or pastries. So when, when the churches came together, you had these two different traditions that really just did not mix well. One, one group said, we have to have homemade stuff. And the other group said, no, we just go out and buy it. And it wasn't okay that you could do either one, that, that both would work. It had to be one way or another. So eventually we, we, we got over that. And now that's the kind of way we do it. Whoever's hosting coffee hour for, for that Sunday, if they want to make it, if they want to buy it, whatever works. We have a stockpile in, in the kitchen. If nobody signed up for some Sunday, then people just kind of take care of it. And but the one thing they all agreed on was that everybody said that we had to have coffee during coffee hour. So, so we did. I have. was getting worried for a second while you were telling that story. I thought you were going to say maybe you just said forget it. We're switching to tea or something. No, 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 no. Still, still Sad, coffee. You know that that is that, another yeah. 
another sacrament. Not that there's anything wrong with tea. I drink <laughs> a lot of tea also. Coffee is the third Lutheran sacrament. It is. So we gotta, it is. We yep. Make sure that we got that down. Yeah. But I think, you know, just in general, I think, you know, we've had several conversations just about little things that don't seem to matter to us, but matter a lot to people. Uh, you know, we kind of joke about wearing robes and stuff like that sometimes. But, uh, I, you know, I think those things do matter to, to folks, especially because that's what they're used to or, or have appreciated in the past or that's that's what they think church can be or is. And I, I don't know, I think at least in our tradition, we have the ability to say, just because we've done it that way, doesn't mean that's the way we have to do it, because we know what the important things are. Right. And to get a little more distinctive, I I mean, I, I think we learn a lot from our ecumenical friends that helps round out a bigger picture of what the church is. But from a, a just flat, straight out Lutheran perspective, I mean, we would say that the church is where word and sacrament happens. And our confessional documents seem to point us in that direction pretty consistently. So I, I think to say, okay, if we're starting with that, how is the word preached? How are we celebrating, you know, baptism and uh, the Eucharist, and as as they point to Christ present with us, um, that that's really what's at stake. And then how we shape ourselves around that, we get to kind of figure out. I mean, we have a lot of resources from our tradition to pull from to do that, um, certainly. But I think sometimes we just get locked into this is the way we've done it, and we leave it there and don't think twice about it. And I think in the 21st century, we really do need to think about those things because people are engaged differently than they they have been in the past. Not that what has been done in the past is wrong by any means. I mean, you know, just the way we interact with people with the advent of social media, just as one example just changes the way people speak, think, spend their time. We need to be engaged there somehow, whatever that looks like for each of us. So, I mean, and that didn't exist 10, 15 years ago. So that's, we just got to be open, I think, in that regard. Yeah, and I think that's why I believe the decolonized movement is so important in our church right now, because we have these preconceived ideas of what it means to be the church, but that's not necessarily true for everyone. So when we do have worship and we do change things up a little bit in in what we wear or how we approach worship, it might make some folks upset at first, but really what is the important part of us gathering together on a Sunday morning? It's not just to see what people are wearing or or how we do things, but it is worshiping, it is the scripture, it is um, living out our faith in and amongst one another. But like you said, you know, we don't want to create such an environment that that detracts from hearing the word and hearing the word preached and fellowshipping with one another. We want to be able to create an atmosphere where people can engage with one another and and be supportive. So just to take it from another angle, so often we think of ourselves as the Lutheran congregation in this place, whatever sign you do have on the door, uh, this is what it means to be the Episcopal church in this community or the Baptist church in this community or the Roman Catholic church in this community or whatever it is. And I think what we're learning in the 21st century is we need to think about that the opposite way. How is this community being served by the churches that are there? So we, we should share more in common in that regard, right? So the like in my town, we've got a congregational church, we've got an Episcopal church, we've got a Roman Catholic church, we've got a Lutheran church, we've got an Assemblies of God church, and we have a full gospel tabernacle church. How is this community of people being served with word and sacrament ministry, even though we all understand that differently and in a different history of how we approach those things. How does that ministry and that witness to Jesus serve the people that live here? 
whether they are members of our congregations or not. And I think that's the shift we just need to make because we get uh, we get caught up in the this is who we are and this is what we do and right right get the Lutherans good for us. But I think the people that are on the outside that don't engage church much often or at all they really don't care if we're Lutheran or not. You know, if we if we're followers of Jesus, that that people at least have probably heard of him. I think <laughs> maybe once or twice. Yeah, and they probably don't have a very good image, right? Because of of just what gets put out in kind of a more mass media level of negativity. Right. And it's it's like our, our friend and colleague, Mark Huber, said on an earlier podcast when we talked with him, Sanctuary is a Lutheran Methodist congregation sponsored by, you know, the Lutheran and, and Methodist churches. And he said most of the people in his community, his, his church at Sanctuary, they don't get that or, or it doesn't really mean much to them you know, if they're considered Lutheran or Methodist, they are the church, and they are called to be the church in Marshfield, Massachusetts. So labels on, in the, in the sign on the front door, you know, like you said, doesn't really mean much to folks. What does matter is how we live out our faith, and that really starts with us coming together to talk about how we are going to be the church with one another and for our communities and for the world. Yeah, and then in a sense, I mean, that's kind of what being church is, right? I mean, it's not just—I mean, we have a tradition that really roots church in the event of word and sacrament, but I would say church also is that place where we serve others and bear witness to what we gather for around other people who might not have encountered God in the same way. How about you? What what are ways we can be church, you think? Right now, we are in the midst, in the, the common lectionary, revised common lectionary, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount, and I think that is a, a great example on how to be the church. When Jesus talks about the blessed are those who are poor and, and the meek, and kind of lists up those people who are forgotten about in society, and then we talk about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and, and what does that mean? And and now uh, we're we're kind of moving into a space where. Jesus is talking about how how can we be in relationship with one another? And I think yeah. that's really what church is all about. How can we be in relationship with one another? What are the things that help keep us there? And what are the things that kind of detract us from being in relationship with one another? So Yeah, I that, like that a lot. I, and I like I like that it starts with blessing and then it, it moves to a call and then it's about people. You know, it's really about who are we and, and who do we relate to and how. I like I like that very much. And we are a church of law and gospel, so we hear the law, we hear right. the things in the Bible that, that show us where we fall short on really kind of living out God's call to us. If that's where it ended, then that's, that would be terrible. Yeah, <laughs> we'd be in trouble. We'd if be in trouble, but we are also yeah. a church that, that hears the gospel, and we hear that, yeah, we do fall short, we do mess up, we do screw up, we do things that we shouldn't do. We don't honor people that we should. We don't honor and value the relationships that are in our lives all the time. But God still is going to love and forgive us anyway. And that is a message that I know I need to hear over and over again, because it's easy for me to forget that uh, in the midst of the world coming at me and, and thinking about things at late at night of, oh, I didn't get this done. I didn't make that phone call. I didn't see that person. Well, I'm going to do my best to, to try to rectify that tomorrow 
and that's still going to be okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, not to, it's funny because we're talking about being the church in a broader sense, but we do come at it from a Lutheran Christian perspective. So just to draw on some resources of that, Luther wrote the small collar articles in 1537 when he was ill and thought he was going to die. Also thought that a church council was coming to help kind of solve the problems of the Reformation. So he was kind of, he kind of wrote it as his last will and testament to the church for those to take up after him, even though it wasn't really adopted so much and then made it into our confessional statements later. But one thing he talks about is just ways of, of looking for the gospel. If you think of the law as kind of putting an end to the old way uh, of life or, or, putting to death that which needs to die so that we can be raised. He talks about five different distinctive ways that that happens. The first is the spoken word, which, which kind of makes sense. I mean, we're kind of a, a preaching culture in, in the church in general, but as, especially in the Reformation tradition. But also the sacraments of baptism and uh, Holy Communion or Eucharist, depending on what terminology you like to use, Holy Communion. We don't really live out what it means to confess our sins and hear the words of forgiveness all that well. I mean, we do it corporately at the beginning of worship usually, but we don't really, I don't know. Do you live that out as, as a core part of who you are? I don't, I don't, I don't think we really do as Protestants. No, we really don't do that as, as much. I don't know. I don't want to say as we should, but probably as, as may be helpful in our lives. I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's such a, a, it can be such a real gift and we just neglect it. I think as we, we have also inherited this tradition, unfortunately, that if it's Roman Catholic, it can't be good. But right, I think right. that's just a mistake. There's that just is. a richness in that tradition that can teach us. But the last part, the, his fifth one, I think is the most profound because it's not what you normally would think about for church. Because when you think of church, you think of the stuff you do at church, right? You yep. come to communion, you get baptized, you listen to some preaching, you get forgiveness, uh, but his last one is the consolation of believers. And man, I think that is so true. And it's so rich. I mean, we're, we're two or three are gathered. That's where Jesus is. And think about all the conversations that happen outside of the building, around friends and neighbors when they're hurting, or around the table when you're celebrating. You know, all those places that you're, we build each other up, um, especially when we, we don't feel like we got enough gas in the tank, uh, that that's the gospel. I think that's amazing. I mean, that's a really great insight to think about the church being located in relationship to one another. That's really cool. And it's not only in relationship with your specific individual community, that is critically important. But the one thing I love about our denomination is that we are connected to people all over the United States and all over the world who share this belief, not only as Christians, but also as Christian Lutherans in this in this church. You know, you and I would have never met if we didn't have this connection within the church, and it's, it's life-giving and, and life-changing and to have this sort of uh, connection. And it, it's great to see. I mean, we, we each of us, like we said, have different personalities for our congregations, but Really, if I was to walk in most Lutheran churches on any given Sunday, you know, I'd have this familiarity. Um, right. Of, You'd of have the... a general idea of knowing what to expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that's great. It's funny because people say, you know, all right, it's the 21st century. Do you really need denominations anymore? And I would join 
the people asking that question, uh, not because I think they're bad, but just uh, maybe what's the purpose? And is it the same as it was a generation ago? I, I still think it's a good idea to share in a network of churches rather than to feel like you are the only church there is. I think that isolating yourself like that is not great. Your community is better served if you're connected. But again, just like you said, uh, to create a network of relationships well beyond what you could experience on your own. I mean, the fact that we've got friendships across the church, across the ELCA from coast to coast, I think that's good. I mean, I think that helps what I do uh, and what you do and what they do, especially now in the ecumenical age where we're trying more and more to do exactly what Bill's doing in New Hampshire, uh, to think about we can be the church beyond our denominational borders, to say we can be church together too. And uh, so we, we have a number of relationships that I think are important that can teach us something, but it's also about, it's really about being connected to others. And again, I think that just that consolation of believers piece, we got to we got to push that. It's kind of an underdeveloped theological point, I think, in our our life together as the church. Because I think most people do think of the church as the building or as the worship service or as the things you do there. It's about people, right? It's the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not limited to a space. It's it's all about how we are connected in all kinds of ways. Yeah. Do you ever do that thing uh, with your hands as as a kid where you, you say, "Here is a church. Here is a steeple." And then you turn your hands over and it says, open the doors and see all the people. Yep. You know, that, uh, it's a simple thing, but it, it helps remind me of, yeah, we have this building that is the church, but let's look inside the building and see the people that are a part of it that really make it up. Because if we didn't have the people, you know, we'd have a lot of empty church buildings that would be pretty useless. And so I, I, I understand how difficult it is to really kind of see beyond the building. And, and I think it's important to keep up buildings. You know, we don't want them falling down or around us. But we have ministries with even within our synod and across the church where people are gathering and worshiping and fellowshipping with one another, and they don't have buildings. You know, right. so it is possible to do that. We should make up a new a new thing like that that starts with the people and then ends up with being like, yeah, and we got some buildings too. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Here are the people, and oh yeah, there's the church. Um, and we also have, we also have, yeah, a nice place to gather when we need to. <laughs> the, the rhyming of that would be is remarkable. It needs some development and some work. <laughs> so if you listener are uh, creative and want to come up with one, let us know because I think know. that could be that'd be good. I'd love to teach the kids in my parish that you know, right, we're the right. people, we're the people of God, and look, we have a building too. <laughs> It'd be cool. It'd be really, really cool. Yeah, but I know like both of us came out of the camp world. I mean, we both started uh, really to be engaged in ministry where we were leading from that experience. And I think we in our Lutheran tradition call camps outdoor ministry, that it's about, I mean, we have uh, facilities and we have acres of land that the church owns that where the camp is. So it's not like it's borderless, but, but the experience while you're there is... You're with your cabin group and you roam around and you do all kinds of different activities, but it's, but you're being the church the whole time. I don't know. I, I cherish that. I think for me, I feel like those years for me, one, they were formative because I was late teens, early twenties, but two, it was all, it was about relationships primarily. It wasn't about getting it right. It wasn't about knowing all the right answers. 
you know, it wasn't about worshiping a certain way. It, it was about just loving each other. Camp was one of the places where I felt God's presence the most and continues to be that place where I feel God's presence the most in my life. And we both have had experience going back to camps as pastors, chaplains for, for the week. And I'm just astounded by the creativity at the camps for teaching kids about the Bible. Part of it is you, you, you do these activities and it maybe seem a little unorthodox, but the kids really get it. I mean, they're not going to walk away from camp being biblical scholars, but they're really going to walk away from camp feeling the presence of God in their life, feeling the love of God, and creating these lifelong friendships while they are there. Yeah, and then we've got other ministries that are totally different, but do similar things. I mean, I think of, uh, in our own synod, we've got Cathedral of the Night, which is a street ministry, really, where people gather for worship outside, and there's connections that happen and support that happens, and people are linked into a community of people, and it has nothing to do with a building or even kind of a traditional way of understanding church, but yet it's it's all about being together and being enriched by each other as well as, you know, God's Word and the sacraments and what that looks like. And I know, I mean, we've done mission trips, those types of things too, where, I mean, I, I, it's good to go away and that's a fun part, but when you're with people on those things, you're not usually in a building. You're usually at their house or in their community or serving in a particular way, and it's about witnessing to God in that place uh, in the work that you're doing and the connections you're making. I don't know. I bet a lot of people could think about church in kind of some broader sense. I mean, again, one of the things Luther would do is he he talked about the home being church, you know, and that parents really serve as the bishop of the church of the home. You know, what that looks like. If you think about your life with your family, it's not just about, you know, you always think of the kitchen table as the as the place, but Hey, I'll be honest, my family rarely eats in front of the table. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll yeah. just own that. But yeah. I mean, we're, we're together. I mean, or we're doing something or we're going to an activity or we're playing outside. I mean, isn't that all being the people of God together in, in a different way? And uh, if we could own that as a, a space where we can deliver the gospel of mutual consolation, naming Christ in our midst, that could be really, really cool. I don't want to belabor the point, but we, we've really talked about the relationships that is so important. I mean, that, and when you talk about family and gathering around the table, I mean, when we eat together as a family, whether if we're not watching TV or whatever, we actually take the time to, to sit down. It's, it's caring for one another. And right, I think that's, exactly. that's what, what church, and that's when I hear people talk about what they miss at church or what's missing in their life or missing in their congregation, it's that, that care. And it's not, always care from the pastor because sometimes it's seen as, well, that's your job, pastor, to care for me. I want other people to care for me. I want to hear from someone and if I'm not in church for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it, it's nice to to be missed. It's nice to hear from someone and say, hey, you know, we, we, we miss you. We'd love to see you again. Is there something going on in your life? You know, I just want to pray for you and not... I want you to come back because we need your offering or whatever, you know, but I, right. I really do care for you. And I really want to continue to build up that, that friendship that we have and invite you to come back. And, and I think that's what we can be. That's how we can be the church is to not only uh, care for those that, that may be missing, but also invite those who are not already a part of the church to, to be the church. If you, if you see someone who, 
might feel lost or alone, or you're having a conversation with someone at work who's really struggling, say, can I pray for you? Can I be the church here in this office space right here, the two of us sitting here and praying and inviting God to come in to this conversation and into your life to, to help you out? Yeah, I think another underutilized category that we have from our tradition is the priesthood of all believers, of, of what it means that each of us are called to ministry in, a, in some way. We do have people that are pastors, but we wouldn't say it's because they are better or more holy, or it just keeps everything from being a little bit less of a free-for-all than church are, is already. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, to have a person designated to say, okay, you're in charge of making sure that this stuff happens, words and sacraments and some kind of care that happens. But rather than just be religious consumers, which is uh, another big part of our wider culture that is a continual issue, if we could really own the fact that when we're baptized, we enter the life of Jesus, and when you enter the life of Jesus, you're sent. Uh, so each of us have ways to contribute to being being the church. And it's not just about making sure you're on a committee or, or being a greeter or a reader or something on Sunday, even though those are important things. We need those people to do those things. But I mean, I wonder if we could somehow, and it's going to take a huge cultural shift. And I've been thinking about this for years, but if we could, if we could cultivate the idea that each of our people in our churches are actually missionaries in the locations that they find themselves. And, and that's what we're doing is trying to cultivate our witness to what it means to be part of the body of Christ. I don't mean like hitting people over the head with the Bible or something like that, but you know what I'm saying? If we yeah. could, if people really took to heart that God has called them to be in the places that they are, you know, at school in the classroom, mowing your grass and talking to your next door neighbor, you know, helping somebody out in your neighborhood that needs something, going to work and sitting in your cubicle and, and checking in with people, that each of those places, we're, we're called to those places. I mean, I, Luther's well, got that great piece in the his marriage thing about changing diapers and that being holy work. I mean, we got to own that stuff. Yeah. Let's, let's own that. Yeah. yeah. If we were to move in that direction, and it, yeah. it would take, I think, a drastic change of what we do on a Sunday morning, because so much Agreed. of what we do on a Sunday morning is performance-based, right? You have the one person or a few people up front leading worship for those participating, and right. that's doing church. If we want to be the church, then Sunday mornings need to be more of a, of a lab where you experiment and practice how to have those conversations, because if we don't practice and learn how to have those conversations, then can't really expect anyone to have the confidence in order to utilize the, the conversations for faith outside of the church. So, right. you know, and, right. and when can we get to a point in what we do on a Sunday where we can have those, those labs or, or have that experimentation time where it's like, oh, I don't want to turn it into case studies, but, you know, Bob and Bob and Janet are out there and they're waiting for the bus stop for their kids. You know, how are we going to talk about it? How are you going to bring it up where you, you feel okay doing that? I don't know. I don't know how that would look like or what that would look like, but I think we'd have to have a different mindset of of what it means to be together on a Sunday morning for church. Well, I think um, at least for us as leaders, if we could start to at least conceptualize that, I mean, we gather on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is not the end of the weekend. It is the beginning of the week. 
and even in our Christian tradition, we would we even sometimes say it's the it's the eighth day, right? Because of the resurrection, that it's kind of a beginning of something new. And I think so often we approach the event of church or the production value of church of getting to the end, which is making sure that by the time you get to Sunday morning, you got everything done for worship, or and then you do worship and then you go home. But if it, if worship was the launching place for the rest of the week. If we could at least even start to envision that conceptually, I think that would make a huge difference. It would make a huge difference. Yep. yep. Now, I'm not saying don't come ill-prepared or like, okay, let's see what we're going to do. We don't know what we're going to do. I mean, I don't think I'm <laughs> not need, saying that. We need to have some idea. Yeah, right. But we need to figure out a way, I think, to engage people where that's the operative question, you know, that we've come not to just hear what we should know about this. How is this going to help us move for the week that is to come now? Right. You know, it's not the close of our our week. It's the beginning of how we're sent into the next week. If we could start to be church in that regard, I can really only think of positive things that would be potential outcomes of that. And would we mess it up? Of course. But maybe that's... That's a place to start, at least. I don't think you're saying, and I don't think I'm saying, and I don't want people to mishear this, that what we do on a Sunday morning for worship is not important or wrong of what we do on a Sunday morning. Worship is important, and having that time where we are able to hear the Word of God, we are able to share in the meal together, we are able to, to sing together and to pray together and to be filled with the Spirit in order to have the strength and the energy and conviction to go out into the world just to survive another week. That That is important. I think what we're talking about is finding ways to incorporate faith practices in our Sunday morning experience, or even we could do it another time, but to have that intentional time where we are learning to talk about our faith and to share our faith with someone else. Right. And even just for our own reflection of if we could teach people or we could at least model for them practices of how to go about bringing faith into your everyday experience. And it starts at church and you carry it with you, whether it's prayer or study or service or singing or anything, that it's about where you go from here. It's not the end point and then you put it away until next week. I think that would really, really be transformative. But I, it, that's a cultural shift that will take a lot of time and real cohesive effort. Have you ever seen something like that done well? I can remember being at Camp Calumet and being part of the morning rah rah ray, where whoever is speaking kind of gives you something to work on for the day mm. rather than say, Here's the theme of the day. Here's what you need to know. I've tried to do that, but I know I picked it up from somebody else, and I don't. I don't really remember who. That's where I've seen it. Because then you could. What you can do is you can say, "All right, this is today's theme. Here's what I want to say about it." But then here's something to work on, and then in the next time you gather, well, let's reflect on how that went. I don't see why you couldn't do that week to week in a congregation. You easily could do that. It's getting people to do it. I think would be the hard part, but. But maybe you don't do it in worship. Maybe you do it in other ways. I mean, if you have small groups that meet or if you have education classes that happen, um, what if you spent the first chunk of time reflecting on how it went last week before you start on, here's what you need to know this morning, or here's what we're going to talk about, or here's the 
question to engage today. That's why small group ministry is just so amazing because you do have opportunities to kind of hash those things out in the small group and, and talk about the problems or the issues that may arise or the challenges that folks have in the group. And you can come out of that with a little better sense of your own personal faith, as well as getting an idea of where other people are at, more so than you do just sitting in a worship service on a Sunday morning. Right. And I don't want to pick on the people that just come to church and then leave, but I will for a second, because I know I have a few folks, and you probably too, and there's probably people like this in every church. They come in late and they leave early. Right. Right. So they they get there after the first hymn has started and they, you know, we have weekly communion. So let's say they take communion and they walk out. So they don't really engage anybody else the whole time they're there. And they really are, quote, going to church. And that's really all they're hoping to get out of that experience or take from that experience. I don't know them well enough just because they don't engage in other ways to really say what they do the rest of the week. But I bet they still interact with people during the week. You know, I mean, there's yep. got to be a way to say faith doesn't just happen for this hour. It, you know, it's it's a this hour should be used to serve the other hours in the day, the other days of the week, too. Rather than just and I've just been thinking about that even in my own preaching lately is is am I just reflecting on what's going on in the world this week and trying to make some sense of it, if anything, for my own sanity um, and then find God's word intersecting that in a way that could be helpful to somebody? Or is it preparing you to face just the junk that's out there in a different way? And I don't know the answer to that, but it, but I have started thinking about those questions a little bit differently. And one isn't necessarily better than the other. It, it no, I'm not saying that on, is. I, right. Yeah. It all depends on, on where people are at and what they need to hear. And I mean, we are in a time unlike any other time in our in the history of the world, and really we need to, to think about this and think about how we are not only preparing ourselves, but helping other people prepare for each and every day, you know, just living. And if there is some way that we can be helpful for folks in, in living out their, their day-to-day life or their faith, I mean, it's important to, to think about that and, and to take that seriously. Because if you start to envision yourself as a bringer of good news, you know, there's that verse in Romans, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. Mm. If, if you are that person, and I don't want to get too specific because everybody's context is different, but I think the overall context we're living in is just people are really, they're frustrated, they're anxious, there seems to be conflict everywhere, it, um, you know, they, they feel under a lot of pressure that maybe they're not being listened to or engaged in a way that's healthy, but you are sent to that place with some good news. Uh, what is it? <laughs> what is that good news and how do you, how do you bring it? Uh, versus, you know, having the right cliches to repeat or, uh, I mean, some of us need to come to Jesus moment on some certain things for sure, but you know what I mean? Rather than just feeling beat up again, I, I wonder if we, since the world we live in seems to be always on the attack and often we feel ill-equipped to cope with that. I mean, that seems to me the question we need to help people engage is how do you not just cope with it, but how can you help foster some good conversation, that mutual consolation of the believers? How do you, how do you help foster that 
in the context we are that is so, for lack of better terms, just kind of seemed vile. So to bring that around again, I mean, I, I, I think the sign on the door, I mean, it helps. I mean, it, it identifies who we claim to be. You know, we are St. Paul Lutheran Church, so we have a name that's St. Paul, and we have an identity that's Lutheran, and we say we're a church. Or, you know, our denomination, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, that that has a certain meaning to it. But I think where that doesn't help much is if it's just a sign because we just think it's nice and then we go inside the building and do our thing and nothing happens, you know? However it is we gather or interact with each other as God's people, it should be about somehow shining the light and being salty and helping foster relationships. So what I think we would like you to do, fellow listener, because Jeff and I are not on this podcast because we have all the answers. We, as you may be able to tell from this episode, we're still trying to figure this stuff out too. But we really want to hear from you. We want to invite you to share with us how we can be the church and what does it mean to be the church. So this week, if you could go on your favorite social media whether it be Facebook or, or Twitter or Snapchat, give us ideas of what it means to be the church and use the hashtag be the church so we can hear from you and start to have this conversation about what it means to be the church. So thank you for listening to another episode of the Two Ball Pastors. Find us on social media and let us know what it means to be the church by use, utilizing the hashtag be the church. Once again, I'm Joe McGarry. And I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed week. Bye now. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. We should think of something like that at each episode, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then we'll really know if anybody cares. <laughs> We could teach people or, and somehow engage them in a way. I keep saying that word engage. If we could um, teach people or if we could somehow. Engage. Um, enga- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 